Our scripture for this morning is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. If you want to follow along, you'll find it on page 1780 in the Bibles in the pews in front of you. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Thank you, Ellen. Good morning. My name is Mike. I'm part of the team here. Nick said, I'm going hunting. You deal with submission. <laughs> so thanks a bunch, buddy. Before we jump into that glorious passage, Women's Day, it's okay. Um, I want to, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, we started two different classes that were around life stage. And one is for parents that have elementary and, and preschool kids. And they meet second hour. It's just called Family Connection. At the, the other one that meets first hour is called 50 Plus Community. And we did this for a reason. Um, some people may not think that churches have strategic plans and, and processes, but we do. And in looking at the congregation, we saw a couple things that we felt, felt we needed to fix. One. We really believe in small groups and, and that connection uh, as family. But in talking to Aaron, there was a group of people who weren't attending small group for a very good reason in that they had just little kids, really tough schedules. That time of life is, can be difficult to make those connections outside of ball games and ballet lessons and all the things you have to do as a parent that we get caught up in doing as a parent. And so I said, let's try something over the summer. So last summer we did, and we had 18 different households come that and only 15 of them, or 15 out of the 18, didn't attend a small group. But we wanted to provide a place to connect. One of the things as we grow larger is it's difficult because new people come in and they sit down. And if you're new this morning, welcome. And I really hope the people you're sitting in front of or in back or behind you turn around and introduce themselves because that's the only way we look like a friendly church is if we do those things. And we didn't have a place where people could go and connect one to another. On the 50 plus, 
it was like, okay, we have amazing resources in this church. Not just financial, but business knowledge and experiences that have taken people literally around the globe and, and wanting to serve and all of culture, you know, people are retiring earlier, better educated, better resourced. And how are we supposed to think as we step into that second half of life? How are we supposed to view things and have that kingdom perspective, that biblical perspective? So we've been talking about that, and down the road, this community, as they gel, be able to begin to do things outside of the body, and, but together. You know, it's great to go do something, but man, it's really fun to go do it with a friend. But if you don't know people, it gets really difficult. So I want to invite you, if you're 50 plus, or if you've got parents and kids and you're not in a small group, to check out one of those two communities. 50 plus is first hour, back in the Micah Center, they're in D, and the Family Connection second hour, they're in Micah C. And so, end of commercial. I do want to thank many of you have uh, been praying for me. Uh, first time I broke a vertebrae, I was 28 years old, and the second time I was 34. And so I've just lived in a lot of pain over the years. And two weeks ago, they took electrode leads and ran them up my spine, and they were sticking out of my back and into a battery pack that was tight, taped to my back to mask pain. And I thought I was really perceptive in day-to-day -day stuff. We all do. And I'm, I told Estel on Saturday morning, this, this isn't working. And they were going to take it out on Monday, which they did, and I was going to have to tell them, is it working or not? Is it worth the trouble? Because on the 18th of November, they do an implant in me, and uh, will be a permanent situation, me and my little controller that I will not let Kent get a hold of. <laughs> He's already threatened. In fact, for that matter, so is my wife. But <laughs> uh, new, new way of getting a buzz on. But on Saturday, we were at a wedding, and about 7 o'clock, I said to Estelle, we got to get out of here. I'm crashing. I am really hurting. And when that happens, I just kind of, it hurts a lot. And so we headed home, and I got home, and I pulled out my little controller, and I said, call your doctor, your batteries are dead. And I'm like, I've been reduced to two AAA batteries. <laughs> so we called the, the hotline, and they told Estelle how to take it off and be careful of the leads and put new batteries in an hour later. I felt better again. So... That all came out, so this morning, if I sit down, it's not because I'm being disrespectful, it's because it just hurts to stand up. And um, so, we'll see how that goes. But it's amazing. Yeah, I got kind of mad at God because my feelings were in place that it, they didn't line up with my theology. And I was having breakfast with Kent and Mark last Friday, and Ken's like, isn't it amazing how God provides for us in technology and medicine? And I just like, shut up. I just want him to heal me, you know? But thank you, Jesus, for doctors that do crazy things. To come to this message we really needed to start back at Ephesians 1, 3 again this morning. And Paul reminds us that God has blessed us with every spiritual, and everything is spiritual to God, every spiritual blessing so that we can live lives 
that, are, that flourish. And Paul stays on that theme of how amazing God is in chapters one, two, and three. And then in four, he shifts. And he says, now because all of this is true, walk worthy of all this being true. If God has given you everything you need from, a, from his divine perspective as God of the universe, if he's given you everything you need, then walk accordingly. Make sure that your life shouts, God is amazing. And when people look at you, they're astonished. Then in 4.17, he says, walk like you're supposed to, not like the Gentiles who are darkened in their understanding. They don't get it because their minds have yet to be transformed into a way of thinking that's in right relationship with God. Romans 12.2 says, you know, don't be conformed to the world. Don't think the way they think, but instead think as you should as a kingdom person, full of the spirit with every spiritual blessing lavished upon you. Live that way. And he goes on through up to, um, comes into chapter five and he, he starts to shift and he begins to talk about how we function together as the church. Then he makes another shift in Ephesians 5.21. The paragraph break is often between 21 and 22. And 21 is a culmination of all of these things. And he says, brothers and sisters, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. But he starts this trek about how it lives by calling us little children. Little kids don't have their acts together. I don't know if you've noticed. They're a mess. They just live life wherever's in front of them. And, and they have, we have to train them up, we have to teach them. But they're still beautiful children. And I thought Nick did a masterful job a few weeks ago in dealing with this passage. And at the end of it, he was like, don't let this beat you up. This is God saying to us, I know you're not gonna get it all right because the flesh wars against you. And the emphasis isn't on the flesh warring against us. The emphasis is on God in his amazing mercy and grace has lavished every good thing upon you. So everything that you need for godliness and righteousness and good living has been given to you. Psalms 35, 27 says that God is deeply concerned about your welfare, about how you live, about how you pull life together and, and walk it out well. And Paul's saying, and you can walk it out well because God has this amazing plan who in Jesus Christ came to redeem you and to fill you with his presence and his spirit so that you would have the capacity to walk and that's the backdrop that Paul then says, submit one to another. Now, that word submit is a scary word in our, in our culture. And ladies, I wanna to apologize to you because ungodly men have made it a very precarious world for you sometimes. And that's not God's intent. God created you with all the value and dignity that he meant you to have, and it's yours to walk in. 
And when we come to this passage in 22, there's a transition from kind of the bigger picture down into now we're going to look at one of the four today, but we're going to look at marriage and then Nick will pick back up what it looks like in parenting and then what it looks like at work and what it looks like even if you're a slave. How do you take a hold of everything that God has given you and slave well? How do you parent well? How do you go to work well? How do you be married well in such a way that it shouts out God is good and that I have everything he intended me to have? There are some passages, and I think this is one of them because brokenness in relationship is so prevalent in our culture today, that passages like this can also cause pain. Maybe we grew up in a broken home. Maybe you've gone through a broken relationship. Maybe you're in a relationship that feels like it's sideways right now. As we go through, you may feel this feeling in your gut that in a right setting before God we call conviction. And he's calling you to change something. And we push back against that because that would mean we'd have to humble ourselves and our pride gets in the way. And that compounds this conviction. And while all of those things are true, that's not why Paul wrote the words submit. He wrote it for a very peculiar reason. It's the antithesis of everything I just described and that's because of freedom. The world thinks that the church pushes down women because that word is in the Bible in the context of marriage. When the truth historically is that it's Christianity that has set women free and continues to do so if you understand the passage correctly. When Paul penned this, most of the known world was under Roman control and in the Roman world, women only had status if a man assigned it to them and rarely did that happen. The church was being attacked because this message of freedom that Jesus was teaching and had taught was causing people to question. Instead of living under fear, all of a sudden fear was being cast out because they were understanding what true love was. And it was disrupting Roman culture, it was disrupting the social order of things as noblemen and, and slaves were gathering together to worship this God that Jesus taught about that loved them. And it was a new day, and, and Paul wrote kind of a new code of conduct that elevated women because he said, men, you need to function, you need to be imitators of God through imitating Jesus. And so instead of fear, there should be a relief Instead of hierarchy, there's a functional means for order in a family setting. And, and it's based on this fact. Before your husband and wife 
your brothers and sisters in Christ. Estelle and I will be married 42 years and about six weeks. And the dominant relationship that I have with that woman, who I love dearly, is that she is my sister in Jesus Christ. People have said to me, the Bible doesn't say that much about marriage. That's crazy because it's supposedly so important to God. Well, it doesn't say a lot when you look at how many verses are given to just marriage compared to other things. That's because all of the other things apply first. See, when I'm godly, I don't have to hold a whole lot of marriage skills on top of it because I value. I understand the gospel. I understand my place to serve. I mean, verse 21 is not a threat because it says, submit one to another. Well, that's what we do in Christianity. The whole premise of our faith is that we submit to God the Father, that we submit to Son Jesus Christ as our King. As that last song beautifully put it, and we're going to come back to that at the end as we can look back and we can worship Him for what He's done in light of what we do. And there's not a special category of being Christian in marriage. There's no such thing as a Christian marriage. Jesus didn't die for institutions, he died for people. So when two Christians come together, it takes on Christian things, characteristics, but that's because of who comes to the marriage. And so when Esther and I live daily lives, and I treat her as a daughter of the king, and she treats me as a son of the king, marriage works amazingly well. Because it's not wrapped up in my marital role, it's not wrapped up in how much respect she gives me or how much I love her. It's wrapped up in the fact that before we ever said I do, there was such a relationship as me understanding who she is in Christ and who I am in Christ and as we came together in marriage, it just sweetened the pot. It was like a bonus. And we can enjoy the things that a husband and wife enjoy, but without that understanding of Christ in us and who we are in Jesus, and it just, it's difficult. And the world tells us we don't get marriage and the truth is they don't get it because they don't know Jesus. They don't know the intent of the Father as he brought two people together and it was supposed to be bringing them together out of a relationship first with him so that they would get along before they came together as man and wife. And in that context of godliness and righteousness, marriage is amazing. Marriage is meant to be a reflection of God's promises to us. The greatest act of God, from our perspective, is his sending his son to die for us. That he would love us so much that he would send Christ to sacrifice himself and for him to say, I didn't come to be served as king, I came to serve you. And Paul comes along, he says, be imitators as little children of, of God. And so we, we have the model of Christ all through the New Testament and he serves people and he he gives of himself with joy. 
Knowing what laid ahead of him, he goes to the cross and he endures the cross because he knows the outcome of the other side, that we're gonna have a reunited relationship with the Father. And that's worth it to him. And so he gladly serves. And when we understand that the greatest thing that we can do as Christians is serve one another, the fear of submission leaves. And the joy of serving rises to the top and we find out that this was God's plan all along and he modeled it for us as he sacrificially gave his son, as his son joyfully sacrificially gave him so that we could have life that didn't look like the world defines life. It wasn't self-centered, it wasn't striving, it wasn't tearing down. We've got to remember what Paul was talking about, 118. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, that you would see the power of the gospel and how it affects you every day. That you would think differently. That you would know the hope that you're called for. That you would know the glorious riches of your inheritance. All that God has lavishly given you applies to every bit of your life. 2-4, because of his great love for us, God being rich in his mercy towards us. We didn't deserve it, but he gave it. 316, I pray out of his glorious riches. He's always praying out of God's glorious riches. You notice that? It's cool, because that's ours. He may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being to live this life that he's describing. We don't even have to have the power to do it. He supplies the strength for us to walk in a manner worthy of all the amazing things that he's done for us. And then he says, submit one to another. Don't hold on to it tightly, give it away. Submission is the way of life in the kingdom. It's not a dirty word, it's a delight because I get to serve you. And when I serve you, I look more like Jesus. And when I look more like Jesus, I grow. And I have confidence that I'm doing the things that God called me to do. I'm living a life in a manner that God called me to live. And our role model for marriage is Jesus both as the husband and as the wife. And yet, I am amazed at how many couples end up in my office blaming the other one. So my first question is always, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Because honestly, if it's a relationship issue, if their relationship with Jesus were spot on, they probably wouldn't be there. Because we would be loving and kind and thoughtful and good listeners and respectful and, and delightful to be around and, and all of those things that make relationship rich, that make marriages joyful. They don't come from marriage skills. They come from Christ within us. They come from the character of Christ growing in us. They, they come by the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. 
spilling out of us. I've never had anybody come in and say, my wife, she's just too patient. She's loving and she's kind and she's thoughtful. I can't stand it. It's just never happened. I'm waiting. So when it comes to marriage, what's the problem? So ladies, this should be your favorite passage in the Bible. Because God doesn't say, women, I'm gonna hold you to this. He says it in other ways, but he says, men, here's the deal. I have lavishly blessed you with everything God wants you to have. I have demonstrated servanthood through giving my son to you. I have restored you. I have redeemed you. Act like it. So that your wives see the glory of my plan and are free in every aspect of the word to live in freedom. He's saying, guys, as Christ loved the church, sacrificially build the environment so that your marriage can flourish. So that she doesn't look at you and feel beat up or downtrodden or underappreciated. But instead she looks at you and thanks God for giving you everything that she needs for security, trust, and affection. For making this platform, this institution of marriage, an incredible place to understand the fullness of God's riches and his glory. To understand the gospel for what it really is. That which rails against sin and destroys it and raises up freedom. Somebody said, yeah, I gotta follow Jesus. He died for the church and I gotta die for my wife even if it kills me. You know, yeah, it's kind of what God's saying here. In Galatians 5.13, it says, you may, or you my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly and in love. That applies to marriage, because it applies to us all the time. He's not speaking to a husband or to a wife, he's saying Christian. You are called to freedom. So in Christ, live that way. And where at all possible, serve others so that they can live freely that way. And it's, it's amazing when we understand the gospel for what it is on how it impacts every issue of life. And, and that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, you know what? It affects marriage, it affects parenting, it affects work, it affects even if you're a slave. 
in Philippians 2, 2 and 3, it says, in humility, consider one another's interests better than your own. Paul's not saying, look at everybody else's better than you. He's not saying, husbands, your wives are better than you, so serve them. They're the superior. No, he's saying, in Christ, functionally, there's got to be order. But I've created you in such a way that when you live your life for Christ, this is going to work. But guys, I'm going to hold you accountable to make sure that your home reflects the kingdom. Make sure that your home reflects the gospel where serving brings freedom, where serving brings delight and joy and growth, where that kind of environment provides a security and a trust that a woman needs to have to be emotionally healthy. And honest guys, we do too. And it's, it's critical for those of us in the church to recognize that when Paul goes through all the one another's and you know, be nice to one another, be kind to one another, and on and on and on, got his record stuck. He's talking to us as husbands and wives as well. He's talking to us as singles. He's just addressing the church. If you are single, I want to address you just for a minute. Don't look for the perfect mate. One, she's not there. Sorry, ladies, but we're not perfect either. That's why we need Jesus. But rather be the person, grow into the person that God wants you to be so that you're lovable, so that you provide security, so that you provide trust, so you provide those things that a woman wants and desires. And Paul says, when you learn to love this way as Christ loves the church, it's like you're loving your own body because love is reciprocal. He created us. Have you ever walked up to a two-year-old or a three-year-old and put your hands out to them and what do they do? No, they reach up because they want hugged. They want you to hold them. Very rarely, a few occasions, Nick, one of them. You go to hug him and he stands there. No, not true. He does this. But love is reciprocal. And Paul says, you know, when you love each other in such a way that provides all of these wonderful things as I have loved you, marriage is good. Relationships are good. You can apply this to friendship, it's good. And we all have those because we're meant to live in community. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. I kinda don't like it. Have you ever really read it? It says love is patient. How many got that down? Love is kind. Yeah, I was kind a few times this week. 
What about the rest? It's not envy. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't get angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Let's vote to strike that out of the Bible. Those are hard things. How do we do those things? Because Jesus indwells us and empowers us, changes our heart, changes our spirit, changes our attitude, so that we can do that. That's not an impossible list. It's a wonderful list. Because that's what a person looks like when they're full of God's goodness. When they're redeemed, when they're everything that Paul has penned in the previous five chapters. We get to look like that. So why don't we reflect that behind closed doors sometimes in our marriages? Guys, why do you treat the ladies in your office better than you treat your wife at times? Or vice versa. Why do we think we have a license to sin when nobody can see us? When it's not going to get reported? When that should be the most secure, wonderful environment to express and explore all the goodness of God that there is? Because I don't have outside constraints. I'm free to be actually me in Christ Jesus. And when I'm free in Christ Jesus, I'm a really good person. I'm good to be around. But when I'm not, run. And the one another's remind us very vividly We're to do this all the time. And Paul says, man, if you do those things all the time, this is how good marriage can be. Let's take this into the bedroom for a moment. Guys, you want to physically express your love for your wife? And she's like, "Mm." Now, my self-centeredness, Nestle's going to laugh at this because she knows it's true. My self-centeredness comes up and says, no, that's okay. I'll roll over and read my book and pout. Hopefully that'll guilt her. Because she knows that in Corinthians 7 it says that we shouldn't withhold sex one from another in marriage. And I'm hoping she really is just thinking about that verse. And she's like really reading her book. (laughs) How do I handle that session, that section or that issue right there as a kingdom guy? Am I so delighted just to be next to her that it's okay? Now, if it's always okay, there's a different problem. But Sometimes you're just not in the mood. How do I honor her? How do I reflect God's goodness to her in that moment? How do I, in my space, still let her feel secure and trust 
that she can trust the relationship. There's three books. This is another commercial. Um, if you're new married, if you're looking at married, if you've been married a long time and it's really gotten boring, the joy of marriage is just a great theological treatise of what marriage is. When it comes to the bedroom, the gift of sex by Penner and Penner, and if you're struggling with, with sex or your marriage has gone sexless, which they tell me 33% of marriages are, then Restoring the Pleasure is just a great book. All three of those have got good theology, good practice, and good exercises. Because we're made to be enjoyed and enjoy one another. Second Corinthians says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I've told this story before, but I wanna tell it again because it was one of the most impactful moments in, in my life as a husband. We were in church worshiping, I had my hands raised, and I had this brilliant question, and I dropped my hands and interrupted Estelle in her worship and said, when you see me with my hands raised, what do you think of me? Or what do you think, what, what, what happens? And she didn't give me the answer I was looking for. I was looking for, oh, you're a godly man, or you know, something that was right. But instead she said, it makes me feel safe. Like, well, that wasn't the answer I was looking for, so I went back to worshiping. We were in the car and I said, makes you feel safe. Unpack that, what do you mean? And she said, I know you. And if you're not taking your cues from God, you're kind of scary. You run over people. But when you're taking your cues from God and you see yourself as his son and you live your life out in a way that declares his glory, I love you. And it makes me feel safe because I can trust you. Men, when we take our cues from God, it helps us in so many different ways. And when we live our lives as the gospel declares we can live, sacrificially for one another, our wives love us. And when we provide that environment for them to love us, it's amazing because they want to give to that which they love. And it's as if I'm loving my own body because she does a much better job of that than I can. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. But I get to set the table by walking out who I am in Christ in her presence. And when I do that, Marriage is good. It's not just good. It's amazing. And it's godly. And it's holy. And it's righteous. And it's fun. And it's joyful. What would your marriage look like 
if your wife truly had the freedom that God wants her to have because of your actions? What kind of loved man would you be? And often it's up to us. Often, I'm not paying attention. I'm self-centered. I want what I want and I want it now. And I just can't find a verse to back that up. I wish I could. I have looked and looked and looked. It's not in there. But I keep finding those ones that say serve, love, give, sacrifice. All those words that I don't like, but have become a joy as I've learned who I am in Christ. And if you ask her if marriage has been good, she'll say yes for 40 years and nine months. She won't say 42 because I screwed up three months. But it's been a wonderful journey. It's a journey. It's not easy. It's not perfect all the time. Paul ends this section by saying, wives, respect your husband. Men, love your wives because we need different things. And so, as the worship team comes up, I just want to encourage you. As we finish out the book of Ephesians, it's not about how we should live. It's about how we get to live with Christ within us. It's because of the King of Kings and all that he's done for us that we get to live in a manner that the world just doesn't understand. And they can't because they don't know the author and the perfecter of our faith and relationships. Let's stand.